0: Welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast, the podcast that's all about cops. I'm your host, retired police officer, Bill McReynolds. You have tuned in, undoubtedly, to the most informational law enforcement podcast out of the day because we'll talk to real cops, some active, some retired, and we'll get the inside story on law enforcement. So again, I'm your host of the Boys in Blue podcast, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. And we are so fortunate to have one of a very close friend of mine by the name of Larry Minturn. He's a deputy sheriff with the Pierce County Sheriff's Office in Washington State. Larry, how you doing?
1: I'm doing fine this morning, Bill.
0: Well, I am staunchly seated behind the stainless steel, titanium microphone here in the Boys in Blue podcast studio in Mesa, Arizona. Now uh, You're up there in Tacoma, Washington. and Yes. Now, Larry, tell me, how long have you been a deputy sheriff uh, with Pierce County Sheriff's Office? Now, I want to preface that by telling the audience to hang on to their seat when you tell them. And also, <laughs> yeah. remind folks that Pierce County Sheriff's Department's got a special place in my heart because that's where I retired from some time ago. So, Larry, how long have you been a deputy sheriff with the Pierce County Sheriff's Office? I've been there for
1: uh, just shy of 50 years now. I've got uh, to go until July 1st, and I'll hit my uh, completion of 50 years.
0: 50 years, amazing. And what is really astounding and how the time flies is you were one of my training officers when I was a That's just amazing! Wow, very Well, you must like that was a while ago. It. Yeah, and let me just say this right up front, Larry. And I say this from my heart. You were one of the best graveyard partners I ever had. I'm I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I always look forward to going to work. I knew you had my back all the time, and what a uh, wonderful experience it was. Working those graveyard shifts with you uh, back in the day, huh? My goodness. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. You were, yeah. you were a good partner for me as well. Well, we swung a few sticks in our time, haven't we? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, done yeah that. we
0: did. <laughs> time or two. <laughs> well,
1: tell fact, me, I, I recall you saving my bacon one time with a
0: little bit of a flashlight. Well, you know those those came in pretty handy, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. That's um, well. Tell me, Larry, where? What is your background? Where are you from originally? Well, I was
1: uh, born down in Ashland, Oregon. I actually was uh, I raised uh, was raised in Eugene, Oregon, for the better part of my life until uh, after high school and uh, moved on into the military. Hang on just a minute, Bill.
0: Sure. It's interesting. We uh, worked together for a lot of years there, and then uh, we never got into where each other was from.
1: Yeah, I uh, really uh, had very little to do with Oregon after uh, I left there to go in the military.
0: Uh, uh, is your, now, is your family still down there?
1: Uh, no, I've got uh, one cousin there. Uh, the rest of my family is pretty well spread uh, across the country now. Uh,
0: well, well, here's a question I ask of most every guest I have on the podcast. and What attracted you originally to law enforcement, Larry?
1: Well, it was actually decided with the flip of a coin Uh, when uh, I was uh, out of high school and the Vietnam War was, you know, uh, pretty active at that time. And everybody had a graph number in those days. And I knew my number was probably getting toward the top of the list. So I decided to uh, enlist in. the air force as opposed to waiting for the draft and ended up in uh, law enforcement in the air force that uh, like i say was decided with a flip of a coin it's <laughs> kind of a uh, funny story on how that occurred but i was in basic training and we had a uh, i believe he was a captain that uh, came to our uh, training flight and uh, We were divided up into uh, two flights in the same barracks. And I was on one side, and it happened to be the side that the coin fell for becoming law enforcement. The other side of the coin was uh, to get into uh, food services. (laughs) So so, rather than ending up being a chef, I ended up being a cop.
0: (laughs) Wow, wow. Isn't that something the, uh, yeah. the, you know, I know we look at those as kind of coincidences, but I, I do believe that God had his hands on every one of us, you know, and the direction we yeah. took. <laughs> so you spent, you were in the air force over four years and that was in the, uh, uh, military police then, huh?
1: Yeah, I was, uh, well, when I started, they called it the Air uh, police and then it became security police, but- yeah, um, yeah, it was uh, it, it, it was an interesting job.
0: Did you have to go to Nam or anything, or was it all stateside?
1: No, I started out uh, doing my basic training in uh, Texas, and then from there I was stationed in uh, Indiana at Bunker Hill Air Force Base. I spent uh, about a year and a half there, and decided I didn't care for that part of the. United States. <laughs> Got tired of looking at cornfields, so I volunteered. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh. Uh, so my, I went over to Vietnam with a couple of people that had become my friends there in the service. We all kind of signed up to go together. So that's how I ended up in Vietnam.
0: So you spent what, one, 13 months? Is that what they usually did? Uh,
1: we did uh, one year, 12 months. We- Okay. And
0: yeah. It um, back. Wow. What an experience that was. Wow. Hmm. Now that's something we never talked about before. But obviously, you got discharged, and were you at like McCord Air Force Base, which is there in Pierce County?
1: Yes, that's how I ended up in in the uh, Tacoma area. I was stationed at McCord when I came back, and uh, I, my uh, future wife that I met while I was stationed at McCord. Uh, her uncle was a Tacoma policeman. Really? And of course, he, um, yeah, he, he kind of recruited me. And initially, I was going to try to get on with Tacoma. But uh, the sheriff's department came out with an ad in the paper that they were going to, it was the biggest hiring that they'd probably ever had. They were going to hire 30 people. And so I decided, well, I'm not going to pass on that opportunity. And took the test and he ended up getting hired
0: oh, what was your uh, what was your father-in-law's name
1: you mean the, uh, my the uncle Tacoma, the, the,
0: oh yeah your uncle excuse me Yeah. oh
1: my my wife's uh, uncle um, yeah. I guess uncle-in-law yeah, <laughs> Roland uncle-in-law. Otis yeah it was Roland Otis he was a sergeant and a
0: motorcycle officer Roland Otis huh name doesn't ring a bell right away, but of course we all knew each other in those days, but wow. Yeah. So man, so you were hired what 1972 or four? No, it was 1970, 1970.
1: Okay. Man, oh
0: man, oh man. Okay. Okay. So you got out of the military, got on the sheriff's department. And of course, everybody in the sheriff's department starts in patrol, of course. And, uh, uh, that was a big hire. They haven't done that many since, I don't think, uh, 30 to uh, We
1: We've had one hiring that was around the, the mid-80s, and that was uh, that was a pretty good uh, hiring, too. I think we hired 50
0: all total. Oh, really? Well, okay, cool. So anyway, you're starting patrol. What are some of the assignments you've had in your 49 and 8-month career?
1: Uh, I started out, of course, in patrol. I worked there for uh, about eight years and um, went to uh, assignment in uh, juvenile investigations and uh, really took an interest in doing investigative work. I had tested for uh, being, becoming a sergeant and uh, a detective at the same time. And I was just sitting on uh, both lists, waiting to see what promotion would come first. And it turned out to be uh, detective uh, promotion. So I took that, and that was basically the launch of the lion's share of my career.
0: So, from detective now, what what is your current rank? You're a lieutenant.
1: I'm a lieutenant, yes. Yeah,
0: so you went from detective straight into lieutenant?
1: Uh, actually, there was a change. Um, I forget what year it was, but they uh, changed the the title more than anything else. It was the same rank, but uh, they went from becoming detectives to detective sergeants. Okay. And I think it was basically because they wanted... Uh, the senior detectives to assume a role of uh, a supervisory uh, as well as doing investigations so that we were supervising the younger uh, detectives, investigators.
0: Okay, so you go from detective to detective sergeant, and then, right. then the next step was lieutenant. Yes. Now, how long have you been lieutenant now? I was promoted in nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. So you've been a detective almost thirty years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I've been a lieutenant for <laughs> quite a while. Yeah. So now, when you say detective, I mean, there's a lot of different uh, avenues there. Did you have homicides, burglaries, or were you in charge of the whole gig, or what was your assigned? What was your uh, um, areas of responsibility as a it- Lieutenant Detective. I worked.
1: I started out uh, working uh, property crimes, which is kind of the starting point for most young detectives. And from there, uh, worked into. Uh, I did sexual assault, uh, juvenile, uh, um, victim type crimes for seven years, and uh, along the way worked. Homicides, work robberies, work uh, pretty much anything that came down the pike. Um, we had primary assignments and then uh, we would also work other things as well. Um, did that until uh, I decided uh, I wanted to go into arson investigation, which kind of interested me at the time. And I uh, worked in uh, arson investigations for about 10 years. Oh, really? Ooh. and then uh, we we became part of the computer age and uh, I was on what they called the Leeds, uh 2000 project for uh, going uh, computerized both in the car and uh, basically uh, all of our report writing capabilities everything was switching over to computers from as you and I remember the old days of handwriting. everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I worked on that project for a couple of years until we finally got uh, up and running, and I was uh, in an administrative assignment uh, as a lieutenant initially and worked on that project for the lion's share of my time. And one day, uh, the sheriff came to me and asked if I would uh, be interested in moving into the drug unit. And at the time, they were in need of uh, a supervisor because the one that they had had gone out on a medical disability. And so I told him, sure, I'll give that a shot. (laughs) ended up uh, spending nine years in the drug unit. Wow, supervising that unit,
0: huh wow, well, so arson to drugs and that's a whole and not only that you it sounds like you were like a halfway i t guy you were the go to guy for the computer stuff
1: yeah, uh, we were uh, as far as the computer stuff went, uh, we were kind of the cutting edge at the time because it was all new and. Uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, we thought it through well, and, and as it turned out, it uh, became a pretty good uh, program for us.
0: Sure, you know, uh, I don't know how many departments have gone got this uh, software with all the bells and whistles, and boy, it's had unintended consequences <laughs> it had to start all over a couple of times. Boy, yeah. yeah, that it has. Yeah. Uh, so. Now, of those assignments, which one did you enjoy the most, Larry? I mean, like arson to drugs and property crimes?
1: I, uh, I think probably the uh, arson investigation uh, was very interesting to me um, because of the technical aspects of it and, and actually getting to go to some pretty specialized schooling. Um that that was probably one of the most interesting arenas that I worked in. Um but I, I, I actually kind of enjoyed everything. Um, sexual assault and juvenile abuse cases. Uh that was um interesting, uh, but it also kind of wears you down. Sure. I, sure, you, uh,
0: know, you know you seven know. That for years, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Seven that.
1: years yeah. in that unit was, was plenty of time.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah,
1: yeah. And then well, I had uh, one other uh, thing that I got involved in. Uh, I uh, went to some schooling to become a uh, forensic artist. Oh, so I remember I, that. I did that for a number of years. Uh, sketch artist, forensic artist for the department.
0: So you would take a victim and have them describe what the suspect looked like and then when I watch the news tonight and I see this caricature of a what the suspect probably looks like, that's what you did. You drew that drawing. Yes. Wow. Huh. Did you have any artistic ability or <laughs> was that <laughs> that just something that they kind of no. teach you?
1: I had been uh, interested in art. In fact, I had taken an art course uh, following um, when I got out of the military. I was uh, about midway through the course and finished that up. Uh, I had always been interested in drawing and painting. Um, I think I started developing an interest as early as grade school in that uh, I like to do that. So, yeah,
0: that's interesting. Wow. Well, well, you know Larry, it's just all the graveyard nights we spent riding around, I didn't know all this stuff. I guess we were so busy going from call to call we couldn't <laughs> that's what <it> meant. <laughs> yeah That's that's fascinating. I mean, over a 50-year period, Larry. I mean, my hats off to Arson, sexual abuse, property and uh Chase, all the things you've you've had the opportunity to do. You're right; it is. A, it's a varied career you've had. Well, I do remember uh, one case in particular. I don't know if this was a homicide. Were you in homicide at all? Yes. Okay. Okay. I
1: did. Uh, I did a number of homicide cases over the year.
0: Yeah, I remember one in particular that just floored me. How. Uh, you were always so thorough and diligent and methodical in the way you did things. But I can remember, I think I talked to you after you had uh, moved on and I went into canine. Um, there was a shooting. I don't know. I can't remember if they found the body on the side of the freeway or what. But then uh, you tracked down some stuff and came up with uh, some witnesses that said, well, they're riding in the car. And the driver pretended like something was wrong with the motor. So he pulled over on the side of the freeway and opened the hood. And the other guy got out. And the driver tells the other guy, put your ear down there. Can you hear anything? (laughs) And he did. And that's when the guy shot him in the head. And then dumped it, just rolled his body over there. Was that how that happened?
1: Yeah, I I have some uh, memories of uh, that. Not... uh uh, real good memory of it because of the number of those
0: kinds. Of yes, yeah, but I what floored me? Here's what floored me. You got that information. You went and got on a warrant for that vehicle, and you opened the hood and you got found some blood splatters, and you matched that with the DNA of the victim. And that's how you ended up arresting that guy. I mean, who would think to do that? And that was back when DNA was just, wow, it was brand, that was cutting-edge stuff. I mean, who would think to do that? I mean, you were so methodical when you went about stuff to go get blood splatters from inside a vehicle that you didn't even know for sure what was going on, but it all matched up and and able to make an arrest. That was, that was a fascinating, uh, I still remember that one, yeah. Is that shaking any cobwebs there, Larry?
1: Yeah, a few. <laughs> um, yeah, DNA. <laughs> when uh, when DNA became uh, well, in the beginning, it was very expensive, and very few agencies did many cases with DNA. But as it became more affordable, um, or what a what a change in uh, law enforcement that has been. Oh my, yeah, yeah. Of, course, but, of course, Now with all the cold cases, uh, DNA is you know coming to rear its ugly head for some people who have committed crimes, you know, twenty, thirty years ago.
0: Now it's finally catching up with them. Cold cases, absolutely. Boy, that's a good thing. I'll tell you, you know, and the wonderful part about that is to me, anyway. Uh, none of us like to see injustice done. And how many of these poor saps are sitting in the can, they were innocent all along. (laughs) And the cold case reveals someone else did it. Oh, my gosh, my heart goes out to those guys. Oh, boy. But anyway, it's a good thing. So now, Larry, you and me could tell war stories on our calls together for three days. But I specifically remember... The very night that I made probation, and you and me are working graveyard, and I remember our sergeant was Gary Smith, and he came over the radio at midnight, and he says, congratulations, Deputy Bill McReynolds, you've made probation. (laughs) One year, you know. so And that was the night we got into a little scrape. you remember that? Would you like to relay what happened on that night?
1: Yeah, I remember that quite well. Um, I I know we were, at the time, we were up in uh, that area between Fircrest and uh, unincorporated Pierce County, which is now a city of university place. As I recall, it was like, I don't know, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, and um, we saw a guy walking down the side of the road And he had a white cane, so we assumed that he probably was visually impaired. And I remember pulling up beside him, uh, and you were on the passenger side, and rolled the window down, and we asked him, uh, hey, can we give you a ride, assuming that uh, it was not the safest thing in the world to be out there at that time of the morning in that lonely stretch of the road. And uh, I remember he took off running, or at at least picked up the pace, and we pulled up beside him again, and and then uh, at that point, uh, he cut and run, and both of us bailed out and started chasing, him. and I remember him throwing things uh, aside as he was running, emptying his pockets out, which later on turned out to be some marijuana or I, I, I recall it was drugs and may have been some other things as well but I remember when we caught up to him uh, he spun around and at the time he had a little um, handgun and I don't think either one of us realized it because we were yelling at him at the time you know, to drop the gun and we had drawn down on him And then at one point he tossed the gun aside and took off running again. Um, I I think I caught up to him and grabbed him, put him in a bear hug and uh, he had this (laughs) white uh, rod with him. (laughs) And he kept trying to poke me with it. And then the next thing I knew, a flashlight came down in front of my eyes and hit him on top of the head. And he went down like a sack of bricks. And that was uh, when you had uh, sprung into action and uh, put him out out of action. And I I remember after the fact, somehow we found out that the whole time he was standing there with the uh, gun pointed at us, he was squeezing the trigger. But apparently he had forgotten that uh, he had taken the bullets out and had those in his pocket. they weren't in the gun, fortunately for us. But well,
0: uh, yeah.
1: I think we used a lot of restraint there.
0: Well, I tell you what. I sometimes I ask myself, what if we'd shot? I mean, would you be justified? What would have happened? And we would have been justified for sure. But you just okay. never know what what uh, the ramifications. You shot a guy with an unloaded gun. Well, how do you know? You know, gee whiz. Yeah. And
1: I I think you were probably of the same mindset that I was. We never wanted to have to shoot anybody in our career. Um, Now uh, tell me, Larry,
0: let me ask you something, because I've asked myself this question over a lot of times. If that happened today, would you shoot?
1: um, I think uh, under the same set of circumstances, uh, it would be a, more of an instinctive reaction because that's the way we've been trained for years and years now. I mean, I was kind of young in my career and you were certainly young in your career when that happened. But I think, uh, in today's environment, we probably would have opted to have shot him.
0: I think you're right. And, you know, I look at it and I think, well, uh, that was pretty selfish of me for the simple not to shoot because to protect my partner, but also for my family. What if I got shot? I owe it to my family to go home at night, <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> but it was so, it was totally unexpected. And I, I can remember uh, at the time I was carrying a 357, four inch revolver, Smith and Wesson. And I remember yeah. when it, We realized that he had a gun. I probably could have outdrawn Whiter, John Wayne, and Billy the Kid all in one thing. I don't even know where my gun came from. It was just there in his face. Yeah. You you know, drop the gun, drop the gun. And fortunately, he did. And um, But that that was quite a uh, baptism on fire on the night I made my probation. Yeah, but I want to relate, see if you remember this one story. This was, not, you know, war stories are so fun. I remember we got a call of uh, someone beating on our door. It was like 2 in the morning again, something like that. People said, this guys he's drunk or something, he's beating on our door. So we get there in our neighborhood, and here's this uh, big, tall, black guy, and he's got really intoxicated. So we get him out to the car there and, and I remember I'm you're shaking him down and I'm standing there. You're patting him down and you go from, you know, from the top to the bottom. He's, you know, we, we don't know this guy. And uh, the last thing you did after you, you pat him down, shoulders down, ankles, and I'm standing there, you know, so in case he makes a move or something. <laughs> he had one of these big floppy hats on. Do you know where this story's going, Larry? I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> you pulled his hat off and he had all these patches of hair missing on his head. And he said, What's yeah. going on there? And he says, I got scabies, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember that. Yeah, you 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 know, you're usually pretty level headed and calm, but you just went through the roof. I mean, you just had got done patting him down. <laughs> anyway we find out you've been uh handling this guy with scabies and so we told him to get his butt down the road and get home we 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 found out where he lived about three blocks away so he starts walking and he can't even walk he's so drunk we thought what are we going to do um not put him in the car that's you remember you said (laughs) i'm not putting him in the car (laughs) so we hoist hoisting him up on the hood of the car (laughs) And I'll never forget, we drove about five miles an hour, and he's laying across the hood. I remember he's hanging on to the, where the windshield wipers are, and he's looking in at us. <laughs> outside of the hood. And hood we drove him home that way. It was a residential area. It wasn't any danger, but I, definitely, I <laughs> yeah. just never forget that call. And then from there, we went over to Lakewood General Hospital where you had the nurses scrub you down for scabies. That was a funny one. Oh, I yeah. Remember that, one. that was good. Man, I remember oh, when that. Yeah. Yeah. When we uh, we first uh,
1: finished patting him down, I, I ran over because I saw a garden hose on a house that we were in front of, and it was freezing that night. And uh, of course, the uh, the hose was frozen, so I couldn't even wash myself. Oh, I, yeah. I, I I do remember that very distinctively. That uh, that guy did. He irritated me. Yeah, that's <laughs>
0: yeah. that's one of the few times I see you really lose it. <laughs> yeah well, well you've had a heck of a career larry and now this is something that's just amazing your son grew up became a deputy sheriff did his 20 or whatever it is and retired and there, his dad is yes. still working and your son retired how many years did your son put in
1: i think he had a total of 26 years he uh had worked in uh, you remember Raymond Hall the juvenile detention facility? Sure, sure. He worked there as a uh, probation officer for a couple of years, and then uh, came on the department and uh, didn't wait until I retired
0: before he <laughs> retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand he's, he's yeah, got a, yeah. I understand he's got a good job with the federal, feds now doing. Mean,
1: yeah, he went to work for the feds, and uh, he'd been, uh, I think, happy to have uh, served his time with the sheriff's department and moved on, and I can't blame him. I mean, I, I probably if the opportunity had jumped in front of me, I might have taken it as well
0: when I was sure. his age. But 26 years, that's, that's plenty of time. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> well, Larry, let me ask you. What is the, maybe one of the most memorable calls? Maybe, I know you were involved in some shootings. Um, Was there any shootings that really, like, stand out? I mean, that were really uh, stay in your head a lot? Yeah, I, of
1: course, yeah, I think I already stated I would, like to have finished my whole career without ever having to shoot anyone but unfortunately that wasn't meant to be and i did have an occasion where i had to use deadly force on a person and and it was under circumstances where there were a number of officers involved and i uh, moved to uh do what I needed to do to make sure our people were safe and sure, sure. had to take a life and uh, that was not a memorable occasion as far as uh, enjoyable no, it certainly no, no. was not it uh, it, uh, it happens uh, fortunately uh, it doesn't happen to every officer who goes into law enforcement career but it does happen far more now than it ever used to mm.
0: Now, I, I know that you've handled that well uh, as far as psychologically and all that sort of thing, which is a necessary thing to keep mm-hmm. your own people safe. How how did you look at it to deal with it that way? Can you share anything that might um, help someone else that was maybe involved in a shooting or may down the road?
1: Well, it, you know, it's it's an individual thing and it it really uh, uh, it can have a tremendous impact on a person. Um, of course, you know, I had come from uh, basically a war zone before I came on the Sheriff's Department, so I was uh, pretty familiar with uh, death and and uh, hostile kind of environment. Um, I think had it not been for that, uh, it might have had a, a even larger impact on me, but uh, I guess y- y- you have to kind of deal with things at the time and uh, talk to people. Uh, that's probably the key to being able to get through those kinds of uh, stressful in- incidents that happen is to be able to talk to your family or talk to your friends or reach out to whatever resources are available to you. And I know back when uh, when uh, I was involved in that shooting, uh, we had uh, a psychologist uh, basically available for officers to meet with and uh, go through whatever issues might arise and, and offer whatever uh, uh, needed to be done to help get you through that. Uh, it it was uh, it, it was stressful.
0: Sure, without sure. <laughs> no, no, doubt. Can. But I do think that the one the the guys that have the problems are the ones that try to be the Lone Ranger and tough it up and just go through it by themselves. So I agree with you. Just having confident uh, friends and and um, just talking it out so you get the it's amazing how that can help for sure. Well well you came out of, very well on that Larry and I'm so thankful and I'm I'm thankful that uh, you weren't injured I mean and nobody else was at the time so that's the main thing well, yeah. well we're getting kind of towards the end of our interview here but let me ask you is there anything you would have you've had a varied career and had got to experience a lot of things now was there anything that you would have changed or done differently
1: you know I've thought about that quite often and I really don't think that, uh, well, first of all, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my career as a whole. Um, there's always, you know, a couple little bumps in the road, but uh, I've enjoyed it. I, uh, I would, if I were to have the opportunity, I would do it over again. There you go. Yeah. I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have any reservations.
0: I suspected that was going to be your answer, as evidenced by the fact that you've been there almost 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry, I'll tell you, uh, very quickly, What do you, do you have any long-term plans for retirement or anything like that?
1: Well, I do have a lot of, uh, I guess what you call honeydew projects oh, okay. that have yeah. been stacking yeah. up over the years. Yeah. So I probably got, uh, a little bit of time cut out to do that. And then, uh, my, my, uh, recreational activity, I like to fly fish and I've okay. done that for ever since I was a kid. And so maybe a little bit more time to go out and hit the streams when I want sure. to, and, and, uh, Basically, just trying to enjoy life.
0: Life is good. It wouldn't surprise me if I turn around and hear, I'll hear someday you're still there with 55 years of service. Who knows? But we'll see. <laughs> but anyway, listen, Larry, yeah. it's been such a pleasure to be able to catch up with you again and, and, and talk. And I'd like a commitment from you that we could do a part two sometime. For the simple fact that we just scratched the surface. I mean, we could spend a whole thing on arson and homicide and all that. Those are fascinating stories. And you probably forgot more of them over the years than you remember. But <laughs> you yeah. I'd like you to commit to come give me a part two interview sometime. Would that be Would that be uh, amenable to you? It certainly would. Okay. I'd uh, really enjoy it. Well, listen. Thanks for coming on the Boys in Blue podcast. Uh, it's all about cops, and I tell you, uh, I try to narrow it down to real cops, and I found one today, Larry. So, thank you so much. And listen, I'll be up thank in you, your Bill. area, and uh, we'll grab a, go we'll get a fly fishing line wet.
1: Okay. Hey, you stay safe. Okay. Thank you, Larry. We'll
0: talk to you again. All right. Okay. Bye. bye, Bill. Thank you for listening to the Boys in Blue podcast. Again, I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. Boys in Blue comes out every other week. Subscribe to the Boys in Blue wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and let us know what you think.